it's crazy because yes yeah, it's, it's automatically judged by tattoos how you look the sound of the music the people stage diving jumping on each other if you see it as like a normal person they're like what is going on here but when you're in it and you're in the music and the message and you're living it it's something so magical and something so special to your heart that stays with you for the rest of your life you know, people always say punk rocks sellouts and punk rocks on the radio, but the hardcore scene always stayed underground, still there. And there's still kids putting on shows and putting out fanzines and new bands. And like, it's this community and it's always been looked at as this scary, violent thing. And it's, it's totally opposite of that. You know, the punk rock originally was like anarchy in the UK and destroy everything. But hardcore was like, let's fix things. Let's fix everything. And that was, that's the difference to me of punk rock and hardcore. It's like, hardcore was like, let's make the world a better place. That's Toby Morse. And this is the Ritual Podcast. The Ritual Podcast. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. I'm your host. This is my podcast. Good to be with you all here today, right now, in the moment, the only moment that there is. If you enjoyed my many, many conversations with John Joseph or my epic episode with Travis Barker, if you're into straight edge punk rock, if you're into PMA, positive mental attitude, then you are in for a treat today, my friends. Today, my guest is musician Toby Morse. Uh, He's a longtime hardcore punk rocker, vegan, straight edge role model dad. This is a guy who has never tried any drugs or alcohol. And he's best known as the vocalist for a punk rock band called H2O. But he's also one of the vocalists for another hardcore punk group called Hazen Street. And Toby is also the host of his very own One Life, One Chance podcast. Uh, JJ John Joseph turned me on to Toby a while back. I've dug following him on Instagram for a while now. He's super cool, uh, very authentic, grounded, enthusiastic about life guy who is always putting out positive and uplifting content. I've wanted to meet him for a very long time. I had an inkling that he would make a great guest for the show and uh, that intuition proved correct. This is a really fun conversation and it's all coming up in a couple few, but first. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. 
To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years. And I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, Toby Moore. So this was a really fun one. We talked about all kinds of things. We talked about what it was like for him growing up with a single mom, basically being raised by older brothers, how skateboarding and hardcore punk scared him straight edge. Again, this is a guy who has never drank or done drugs ever. Uh, what it was like living in New York City, immersed in the burgeoning hardcore scene, how he was influenced by bands like The Bad Brains, 
people like Napoleon Hill, the Crow Mags, and uh, ultimately forming his own band, H2O. We talk about veganism, hip hop, starting a podcast, being parents. Uh, his son, Max, is a great drummer who goes on tour with his dad, uh, following in his footsteps. It's really quite charming. Uh, we talk about toxic social media and uh, so many more subjects. So this is Good Times with me and Toby Morse. Super cool to meet you, man. You too. Yeah, thanks for coming out. I've thanks been following you for a while. Um, all the content that you put out, so inspirational and just high vibe, man. And it's just Thank awesome you. to finally meet you. You too. We have a similar uh, group of friends. We so. do. We uh, that Venn diagram overlaps. Uh, of course, John Joseph, podcast favorite. Yes, he's your boy, my big brother. You guys yes. go way back, right? Yeah, I met John a long time ago uh, in the early '90s. Wow. We used to see him, uh, we used to go to hip hop clubs and he'd be walking around by himself. And we'd be like, oh my God, it's John Joseph. We were like the new kids <laughs> on the scene. Uh-huh. And so after, after seeing him a couple of times, he'd give us like the head nod. We're like, oh shit, John gives a head nod. And that's how we kind of met him. It wasn't through Hark, it was through like the hip hop shows. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. But you knew him from Cro-Mags and all that. Oh, of course, right? of course. So. We were scared of that band, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, until I met him. But like, yeah, we used to see him walking down the street. But yeah, I just, I have a really good story about John. Tell it. Me and my wife were crossing Second Avenue one, one evening, and my wife—I was with my friends, and my wife was with her friends—and they were uh, ahead of us. And there was an old man coming; he was kind of like handicapped. And my wife started helping him across the street too. And these two DJ guys were coming by with all their gear, and they stopped and said something to my wife, like some derogatory stuff towards my wife. And I saw my wife, like in this guy's face, like screaming at a guy on the street. And I was kind of stuck in the traffic and then this car pulls up super fast and a guy jumps out. I hear him say, that's my sister. And he punches both the dudes and takes their DJ equipment and jumps back in his car and drives away. And it was John Joseph. Oh my God. I just got goosebumps telling that story. It was like, <laughs> it was a surreal moment yeah. of like, oh my God, John's like a superhero, but he just saw it, jumped out quick, just did it, protected her and then Drove away. Exit it, man. Like a superhero move. <laughs> it happens yeah, so like, fast. That's crazy. Yeah. That's classic though. I mean, uh, one of my favorite things to do when I go to New York is just walk around his neighborhood with him. And yeah. if you pay attention to the way that he treats everybody that he encounters in one of those experiences, it's a it's a it's a life lesson. Like he knows all the shopkeepers by their first name. Yes. He knows their family members. You know, he always asks in on everybody. He knows the names of the, you know, kind of local people that are living on the street in his neighborhood. He takes yeah. care of them, he looks after them, he brings them food. Yes. I mean, the dude is 110% of service and real through and through. Yeah, I love him. He's uh he's a big brother, he's an inspiration, everything he's been through, a survivor, like you said. Um, even with his veganism and his Iron Man's and just like his band and just the shape that he's in, the way he performs on stage at that age. I'm 49, he's 55, I think. And uh-huh. I wanna be like that when I'm that age. And yeah, he just, like you said, he gives it 120% always. Yeah, and you guys share the same you know, ethos pretty much. I mean, both you know, influenced by the same bands, both kind of came up you know, under the wing of Bad Brains and PMA and Napoleon Hill and Minor yes. Threat and, you know, that whole kind of scene, you know, kind yeah. of you cut your teeth in that world. 100%, um, especially in the New York scene, that's where for me, um, I found out about vegetarianism and all that stuff is through the hardcore music. I think it's one of the most powerful types of music for me personally that's affected me. And it's one of the first genres of music that was singing about 
animal rights and vegetarianism in the 80s. Yeah. So how let's take it back, man. So you you you're originally from Massachusetts, right? Yeah, born uh, born in Taunton, Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah. And two, Boston, two, Mass. Two older brothers. Yes. <laughs> we were saying before the podcast, I was listening to to uh, Toby's got his own podcast, uh, and you did you inter- your first episode was interviewing your mom. Yes. With a heavy, you know, Massachusetts accent. Tabby. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like talking about back in the day, like with your brothers growing up and discovering skateboarding and you know punk rock as little kids, and you know suffering the loss of your dad at like a, he died like really young, right? Yeah, he was thirty three. Had a um, rare heart condition. And um, yeah, so when that happened, it was, uh, I was kind of too young to realize, cause I was only three, you know, much, much about death. But soon after that, my mom was working several jobs to keep food on our tables and roof overhead. And so she had three boys. Uh-huh. And so um, she worked from job to job. And then uh, while my mom was working, my brothers would sneak me out to like punk shows and stuff. And they got me into skateboarding and punk rock. <clears throat> but at the same time, they actually, they were partying in the house and drinking and smoking. So they kind of, scared me to be straight edge in a sense. Uh-huh. Now they turned me on to this crazy music that I could skate aggressively to. And then through the punk rock, like Sex Pistols and Black Flag and bands like that, I found Minor Thread who had more of a, a message I could relate to. Right, so older brothers, always the ones who are, you know, the influential figures. Yeah. Here's, here's the cool music. Here's what you should be doing. Like, we'll take care of you. And here's, the, and here's the drug you should never do. Never <laughs> yeah. <drink. laughs> so were they out of control or what was it no. about, about their behavior that, that made you say like, I don't want to do, I don't, I don't go that route. I think I just, I mean, one time we came home and like the, the, um, the cellar doors were open, there was smoke coming out. Yeah. And they were downstairs with the neighborhood girls like smoking weed and stuff. And I'd never seen that before. I never smelled weed, I'd never seen it. And they were drinking stuff. Um, and just the way they acted, it just kind of scared me because I, I looked up to them, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and then, I, and then once I saw it affected them and then, you know, heard the lyrics to Straight Edge by Minor Thread, I was like, oh my God, I'm 13 years old. I never tried anything. And now I can skate to this band. They're super aggressive. I love the lyrics. And I made a commitment from when I was 13 years old, I'm never gonna try drinking alcohol ever for the rest of my life. And I did it and I've been, Living like that my whole life. That's so crazy, man. I don't, know how, I don't even know how I did yeah. it. I don't even think never about drank it. alcohol, never smoked weed. Never tried it. Yeah. But right before we start, I asked you if you wanted any coffee. You're like, I've only had coffee <laughs> twice. It makes me crazy. Yeah, caffeine makes you a little crazy. He you knows. are a pure vessel, my friend. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Except for, my, except for my tattoos, that's whatever how I express myself and hurt my skin. But um, yeah, I just never tried anything. Yeah. And never never a moment where you almost went there. I mean, how did so you, this music was like your buffer? to insulate yourself against the peer pressure, I would imagine, right? Totally. It was that in skateboarding. I mean, I definitely got made fun of at school for like only like loving skateboarding. I didn't have a girlfriend. Um, people call me names at school. And uh, and you find it pretty fast in school who your friends are when you're not going to the cake parties. But I would go to cake parties. Actually, I would go to cake parties with my brothers and I'd be the young kid there and they would give me all the money. They would say, give Toby the money to Go get going to collect money for a beer run, and I would get all the money, and I'll go home and never come back. <laughs> I did it a couple of times, and I bought like new skateboards and uh, stuff. It was kind of lame. And they but just probably forget that ex- they gave you the exactly. money. Exactly, but um, yeah, you find out pretty fast who your friends are, and um, by like tenth and eleventh grade, people knew oh he was just a breakdancing, hyperactive skateboarding kid who didn't drink, and they loved me for who I was, and that's that's my whole point about everything I'm about is just to be yourself because you know your friends will love you for who you are, not if you drink or smoke or not, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like a big part of the message that you take to young people now. Yes, for sure, man. The peer pressure and the being yourself, it sounds so cliche, but um, 
I speak at schools and that's one of the main things I talk about is the peer pressure and um, not having to fit in and be a follower. Um, and not, not being a follower, but be a leader. Right. And um, follow your heart, not people. So did you ever go through a, like a preachy phase? Cause you're a very like non-judgmental dude. You're like to each his own, but was there, <laughs> did you get a little holier than now though as being like the only kid who wasn't partaking? I don't know, but I, I think, I think that's the biggest misconception about me that I am preachy. I call myself teachy, not preachy. And um, nobody in my band's straight edge, <clears throat> not on all of our songs about being straight edge. Um, I'm surrounded by people. My wife's not straight edge, been married for almost 25 years. I'm not just hanging out with vegans and straight edge people. Um, my message was never like, you shouldn't do that, you know, because I know what it was like to have like a dare or a scared straight come to your school and tell you not to do something. When you like forced out on people's throats, it's like, they're gonna do exactly that. You know right. what I mean? Like, so my approach has always just been leading by example. People ask me why I look young, why I have so much energy. Well, I haven't ate meat since 1988 or I never tried drugs, alcohol. I'm trying to be an example of that. Right. Not trying to be like, cause I feel like sometimes vegans can be the worst enemy, you know, and they're so yeah. preaching down your throat and telling you what to do and like forcing it down you. I feel like yeah, people kind of react. It's a problem, man. It is. It's a big problem. And you know, I'm empathetic. I'm a member of the community and I'm empathetic to that sensibility, but at the same time, it just works across purposes with the bigger goal, which is getting people enthusiastic about a lifestyle that means so much to me. But 100%. The, the, the minute you start telling people they're doing it wrong or telling them they should be doing this or should be doing that, like you just, the, the lines of communication just shut down completely. I know, it, it's like, when people try to go vegan, but they're not 100%, like maybe they're wearing leather shoes or wearing something and people like all of a sudden attack them. And these are like big people who are trying to make a difference. Mm. It really bums me out because nobody's perfect. It's impossible to be a perfect vegan. All the stuff they put in your mouth at the dentist has been tested on animals. You're sitting on leather seats on airplanes. You're sitting on leather seats in Ubers. It's impossible to be a perfect human, let alone be a perfect vegan. You know, we just do our best. Yeah, well, there's all, just like there's always a, somebody who's more woke, there's always somebody who's more vegan and they're they're pretty much ready to tell you about it. <laughs> and it's usually the ones, that, and it's usually <laughs> yeah. the ones that are super new. They're uh -huh. like six months vegan, like all gung ho, like yeah. relax, man. Yeah. It's like- We're all human beings on this spinning planet right now exactly. trying to figure it out together. Yeah, and I feel like you don't wanna scare people away because whether it's a trend or not, or you're doing it for health or, or for vanity, whatever you're doing it for, we're saving lives by you being vegan. So I'm happy that that's super popular now. You know what I mean? It's helping everything. Uh -huh. It's the most positive, healthy trend for everyone. It's crazy how much it's grown and exploded in recent years. Like we were talking just before the podcast, like yeah. Burger King and Carl's Jr. and all these like fast food chains are now offering, you know, vegan plant-based burgers and, you know, more and more kind of notable cultural figures are jumping on board. And it's like, it's really shifted uh, culture in a huge way in recent yeah. years. I mean, you, but you've been doing this forever, man. Yeah, it's amazing like not to have to eat like uh, falafel all the time mm. and not have like those old hockey puck. And <laughs> yeah. the, the I used to love Boca burgers. Uh -huh. Just the stuff we had to do the first, the first not dogs that came out in the 90s. And it's just having all these options, especially we live in California, this is like not even real life here because yeah. it's vegan everywhere. But just seeing around the whole world how things are changing and people being more conscious. And it's funny because all the bands that I was loving, Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits and Minor Threat and these bands were singing about these messages in the 80s. It's all coming, even Chromax, all coming full circle now. It's right. It's crazy, man. Right, right, right. Well, let's go back to that time. So you're skateboarding around, you've, you discover punk rock, you got these older brothers who are messing about and you're, <laughs> you, you, start, you gotta start moving around, right? Like you end up in Newport for yeah. a while. Yeah, I moved to Newport, Rhode Island. 
lived there during the America's Cup races, got really heavily into skateboarding there. I met a bunch uh-huh. of great bands from that scene. Um, but that's like, you know, a lot of popped collars and, you know. It was, <laughs> yeah, on Bellevue, all those uh-huh. mansions on Bellevue. Uh, crazy um, houses. But we weren't living in the crazy houses. But you were skateboarding in their front yards and stuff like that? Or what, you know, what was this? <laughs> like, I can't imagine skateboarding was like a thing. Yeah, there was there. because there was like, the subculture of like skateboarders, there was half pipes, there was ramps on First Beach. There was uh-huh. like a, a store that had a half pipe and there was bands like Verbal Assault and Vicious Circle and Positive Outlook and Proletariat. All these like hardcore bands were skaters. Fred Smith was from the area. He was like a pro skater for Alva. Mm. And um, yeah, and I, got, I started getting heavily into skateboarding and doing contests. I was a freestyle skateboarder. I got in Thrasher in 1983. It's like my biggest oh, thing wow. ever happened uh-huh. for second place in a skateboard contest in Narragansett, Rhode Island. And I was like, you know, just skating all the time. We'd skip school a lot and go to thrift stores and buy thrift stop thrift store clothes and skate around and go to the shows. But yeah, there was this element of like a different level of people there. And then when the America's Cup came, there was an old lady who had her ankle broken by a skateboard. So they banned skateboarding in Newport, Rhode Island. And we all went and we marched to City Hall. We we protested. I was like a super young kid and we got we got the law changed back to we could skate again. Uh-huh. It was pretty cool. Yeah, you got picked up by the cops, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went down the store to get my mom like a pack of cigarettes uh-huh. and there was no phones. Went to the liquor store and a cop car came by and it said, they put the lights on, asked me to come to the car and they put me in the car. I was freaking out. I was like crying. And as they took me around the corner, there was more skateboarders because they were everywhere. And I think I even said, like, you're gonna pick them up too. And they picked them up too and ended up uh-huh. going to the, the police station. It was like stacks of skateboards and all my friends were in there. I was like, holy crap. Yeah. They just banned skateboarding like that. But you guys got it overturned. Got it overturned. It was the first time I ever like protested That's against like something. That's like your first like punk rock like <laughs> thing that you did, right? Yeah. I went to City Hall. It was, uh-huh. it was crazy, that man. That is crazy. And then my mom didn't even come get me for hours. I think she had to go to work. There it's, was no phones. It seems like your mom put you on a pretty long leash. Yeah. She's pretty permissive. Yeah, I think like, that- She wasn't like grinding you for being a skater kid or anything like that. It's really true. And she talks about it now with me, like no regrets, but like she let my brothers watch me. I mean, she was trying to like, keep, you know, keep us alive right. and shit. So it's like, I can swear, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, my brothers it's took not me under rap, the wings. We're not, we're not on Rappaport <laughs> show, but it's pretty cool. You, you can do whatever you what want. What up, Rap? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean- yeah, my mom let me hang with my brothers. Yeah, and, and she mm-hmm. trusted me, I guess. And she knew I was a, she knew I didn't do any drugs. She knew I was a skateboarder. She knew I was a punk rocker. And she still let me go and go to these shows. She never went to one of the punk shows to check it out for us. We went and see so many great bands. And were they like all ages shows? Yeah, all ages show? shows. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. Like, there's so many interesting things about like this sector of music and that scene. Like, it was, you know, open. It was there. The all ages thing was unique about it. Great. The no drugs and alcohol straight edge thing was unique about it. Like the vegan aspect of it, the positive mental attitude, like all of these things are emblematic of the hardcore scene that I think people miss or don't understand because they see all these aggressive, heavily tattooed dudes screaming. 100%. And they think it's violent and, you know, and they're scared of it. Yeah. It's crazy because Yes, it's, it's automatically judged by tattoos, how you look, the sound of the music, the people stage diving, jumping on each other, the pig piles on. This. If you see it as like a normal person, they're like, what is going on here? You know, but when you're in it and you're in the music and the message and you're living it, it's something so magical and something so special to your heart that stays with you for the rest of your life. And it's something that, you know, people always say punk rock's huge and punk and this stuff, it's like, um, it's, it's sellouts and there's punk rocks on the radio, but the hardcore scene always stayed underground. You yeah. know, it's still there and there's still kids putting on shows and putting out fanzines and new bands. And like, it's this community. 
And it's always been looked at as this scary, violent thing. And it's, it's totally opposite of that. You know, the punk rock originally was like anarchy in the UK and fuck your parents and destroy everything. But hardcore was like, let's fix things. Let's fix everything. Uh-huh. And that was, that's the difference to me of punk rock and hardcore. It's like, hardcore was like, let, let's fix, let's make, a, let's make the world a better place. Let's, let's, let's not just sing about it. Let's like, let's march. Let's, let's uh, protest. There's pamphlets at the shows. I saw my, the first PETA videos was at a hardcore show. That's where I first saw like the slaughtering of animals. I was like, holy shit, you know? And um, so yeah, there's this powerful message that people might never ever get to experience to this day because they're always gonna look at hardcore as something like violent. And meanwhile, yeah. people would look at me on the train covered in tattoos with a wife beater on and they were like, I try to give a seat to an old lady. She wouldn't sit next to me or people pulling their children. I'm like, I'm thinking like, I don't even eat meat. I've never tried a drug. You guys are looking at me like I'm a piece of shit. I've never been arrested. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's so many stereotypes, especially with tattoos. Well, I mean, you know, in fairness, I mean, look, tattoos are ubiquitous now, but back yeah. then it, it was like, it was different. It's like, it's like, what's going on? It's, it's confusing for people. It's scary because yeah. they're not, they don't know what it is. Yeah, it's supposed to be like I mean? sailors and criminals. And, and like, what is that relationship between body art and like the music? And why do those things go hand in hand with PMA? Like, it's just a recipe <laughs> of things that, that are just new and different for people. Yeah, you know? yeah. And for us, it was just like, how we expressed ourselves. We actually wear our hearts on our sleeves. And we saw the other bands like the Chromags and Gnostic Front and these bands with tattoos. And oh my God, it looks so cool. And then you want to uh-huh. get stuff like, one of my first tattoos is like a Meet His Murder tattoo in 1988. Uh-huh. You know, it's like my first tattoos in my arm. And I remember have, I got a job at Subway and they had to order me a long sleeve shirt because they didn't want me promoting that kind of message at Subway. <laughs> And that was in Maryland. He's murder guy <laughs> yeah. serving up like cold cuts it's to a people. It's a true story. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that was trip. in the South. How old were you when you got your first tattoo? I was 18. Yeah. And all kids should be Are you still get getting them? You have any room left? I just got this a couple weeks ago, X. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to go here. I waited my whole life to go here, but yeah, I've been getting tattoos since the 80s, man. X for like straight edge. Yes, sir. Yeah. So and where where does, uh, where does um, the music start to come in for you as a performer? Well, I became a roadie in um, 1989 for a band called Sick of It All. For a couple of years, I traveled the world with them. I didn't go to college. That was my college, moving right. to New York. You moved, so you moved to New York when you finished high school? Moved or, all by myself yeah. at 18. My yearbook says, move to New York City, support the scene and keep skating. Uh-huh. I didn't know that what I wanted to do. That was the life plan. <laughs> yes. What's mom yes. doing? Good luck. I know, exactly. <laughs> um, my mom had already kicked me out of the house. I was living with my girlfriend in her attic because my mom got a new boyfriend. And they gave me like an ultimatum, like get a job by this day. And I got a job at like Solomon's Steakhouse or something, being a dishwasher. Three days later after they kicked me out. Anyway, I moved to New York, got dropped up at CBGB's. It was really scary. Had you been to New York before? With my uncle, like in the early eighties, like to Empire State Building or something. Yeah. And I'd seen the these one in the place. Movie. You're like CBGB, that's the one place I know. Just take me there and drop me off. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Did you know where you were gonna stay that night? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so basically this band called Token Entry played DC. I became pen pals with them, literally the writing letters to Timmy Chunks, the singer who lived in Queens. It was over a year span. And he told me like, you wanna come out, you can live with me. For him, it was no big deal. But for me, I was leaving everything, my mom, my brothers, my love of my life. But I didn't care about Maryland. I wanted to get out. Uh-huh. So yeah, I got dropped up at a token entry show at CBGB's and it was totally scary. I had all my shit with me. And after that, we drove out to Queens and I ended up, I moved in with my friend, Timmy Chunks. I lived mm-hmm. there for a couple months and they told me I had to move because the landlord didn't know I was living there. Yeah. So I ended up being like sleeping on couches all through Queens. Right, right, right. And just showing up at the shows and starting to you know, make friends with the community. Yeah, make friends with the community. They took me under the wing. There was like a lot of New York ball breaking. They called me like the girly man from Maryland. There was a lot of teasing. I got a lot of thick skin from moving to New York. I didn't have that kind of tough love growing up. 
But all these people, my peers, they really took me under the wing. And after I became a roadie for a couple of years, I realized I had things I wanted to say. So I started writing lyrics on tour. Uh-huh. And that's where my band started. Yeah, that's kind of like how John started, right? Like being a roadie for Bad Brains and having yep. JR kind of take him under. <clears throat> totally. Yeah. Traveling the world with the channel. Yeah. Yeah. So at some point you're like, I can do this. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about Harker is like, you don't have to be the best singer. As long <laughs> right. as you have, as long, as long, <laughs> no disrespect, yeah. but as long as you have a message and you have the passion and, and you want to get it out, that's mm. the best thing about that. Like the guys in my band never even played instruments really before until we started playing guitar with us. So yeah, I just started writing lyrics, named my band H2O, I made stickers, started spreading the word through the community. There was no internet. And uh, I would jump on stage, I had one song and I'd play it on different people's sets. And I'd play this one song and started getting a little buzz. And then, uh, yeah, things really took off fast after that because started getting on all these bigger bills and then we got a record mm-hmm. deal, made a dent. It just happened really fast, man. Right, like how fast, like a, in, a, in a year? Yeah, I mean, like our first show was in Queens with um, Murphy's Law and our second show was with the Chromags at the Limelight, a massive venue. And then after that, our friends Siv and Sick of It All took us to Europe for six weeks. We had wow. five songs and one t-shirt. Just happened so fast. Wow, that's And crazy. I was singing and the way I look, the way I looked in the scene I was in, people weren't really singing. And I, I've always been into uh, melodic music. So uh-huh. when it came out, I'm a more singer than screamer. So people were like, holy crap, that's the roadie from Sick of All. And just the way I looked and who I hung out with, I think they didn't expect to sound like H2O. We had a love song on our first seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, your stuff is definitely more melodic than yeah. the typical hardcore stuff. And I got that from the DC scene, which I loved, uh-huh. and the California scene. And uh yeah, man, here I am 25 years, 25 years later in the same band. It's crazy, man. It's and crazy. You're touring. Yeah, all it's the time. A, yeah, it's crazy. Like we didn't have any hits on the radio, we didn't sell a lot of records and um it's just the community and the longevity and people love the message and now people are bringing their children to our shows. People have grown up right. with this band. My son comes on tour with me now. He plays a song per night on drums with us. Yeah, I saw on Instagram he, he you took him out like you went all over Europe with yeah. him, right? Yeah, he's been around the world. He's what been in Japan, crazy he's been everywhere. Experience. Yeah. It's awesome to be able to do that for him too. Yeah. Well, he seems like a really, I mean, not that Instagram is a window into truth, <laughs> truth and reality or anything like that, yeah. but he seems like a really unique, cool, expressive kid. Yeah, he's a very um, compassionate, loving kid. I'm really lucky me and my wife did a really good job. And especially growing up in LA, it's, I was from the East, my wife's from Chicago. It's kind of scary raising a kid in California. Yeah. Especially with social media and just all the different pressures, but he's, it's cute because he did this IG poll on his stories. Like just people asking questions like, are you gay? What's your favorite shoes? Like just random questions. And somebody's like, do you vape? He's like, nah, I'm straight edge. And I read it like last week. I was like, oh my God. Uh-huh. Like I, I wasn't supposed to see that. He was just doing that for like the people that follow him. Like yeah. and I haven't ever preached to him. Like you have to be like this. Like he's never had meat. He'll never eat meat. He hates it. He thinks it's disgusting. He won't even eat, he won't even eat the possible burgers or beyond. He won't uh-huh. even eat it. Well, he doesn't even eat that. No. Wow. That's, so that's, that's gonna cool. take like a lot of, Courage and strength, and you know, composure and and self confidence to kind of navigate, you know, your peer group and have that kind of conviction. Yeah, and now now there's a bunch of friends at school who are vegan because of him. Mm. It's really cool, and they catered to him at school um, with his with his diet at school. And um, I don't know, just this wow. more conscious world, man. I think yeah. more people, more younger kids are too. Yeah, it's cool, but still, where how do you how have you sidestepped like that kind of natural urge that I'm sure you had when you were his his age to kind of rebel and push back against you know the parental unit? <laughs> I know it's it's crazy <laughs> you know? because he he listens to this crazy death metal music that me and my wife have never played in the house. It's the only type of music me and my wife do not like. So we found this 
genre of music on his own that he loves. Uh-huh. And it's totally insane music that it's like, I can't even explain it, but he found it on his own. So it's kind of his rebellion against us in, in, in a way. Yeah. And he has a band and the band sounds like Mr. Bungo and like some grunge 90s stuff it has nothing to do with my music. So that's cool. Right. And what do you think uh, you did or, or are doing as a parent that has, you know, kind of created this creature who, who <laughs> feels good about himself and, you know, can kind of make his own way without succumbing to all of these, you know, pressures that lead us astray? For us, it's communi- communication. It's the number one, number one thing we talk about in my house is uh, we talk about everything with my son from day one. Um, about any kind of bullying, just anything, any pressure. We, we have such an open, open relationship. It's kind of insane. Like sometimes like, okay, cool. That's enough. I don't want to hear about that. But we, <laughs> yeah. we talk about everything uh-huh. and there's this, we're, we're a total tight unit family, man. And um, my wife grew up, you know, with just her mom. You know, I grew up just with my mom basically. And so Matt, to have like a full family structure is so important to us. And, you know, I can't really, I can't call my dad and say, hey, maybe you took me fishing. I can't get any advice from my dad because I don't mm-hmm. have one. So I do the best with all the values I've learned from growing up in punk rock to like instill them in my son. And it's just, it's just a lot of honesty and communication and love, tons of love. And uh, it's interesting because a lot of his friends like to come over and hang at our house. Cause we have like the drums in the room, like I skate, yeah. like it's, it's a good vibe, you know? And um, I don't know, I think it's just being honest with them. And um, the non-judgmental, yeah, you know, kind of 100%. perspective. But yeah. no matter how cool you are, and like you're super cool, like <laughs> your kids don't think you're you're cool, right? Like you're just dad and mom. Yeah, I mean, I feel like his friends think I'm cooler than he thinks. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool. I'm sure that's the case. Yeah, and I think that you know, one day when he's on his own, looking back, he realize like, wow, I get to travel the world and do this cool stuff. I know he yeah. sees it now, but I it's think hard when you're it, 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 like just based on the posts that you put up and that he puts up, like I, I get the sense that he understands that. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I just think like when he did that thing where was it with Kat Von D yeah, where he like divine. did the makeup thing with her. And I was like, wow, what? That's like amazing that he not only did that, but like shared it. Like he's basically putting on makeup and dressing up like a woman and like just here I am, man. Yeah, you know? that, that took a, that took a lot of a lot of heart to do. He so he did yeah. a campaign for Cat for Divine. It was a tribute to Divine, and um, yeah, he was a full drag queen. And it was she asked him. He was like, sure. He, he didn't hesitate about doing it. He was nervous when he went there, but once he had all the makeup on, he started like feeling himself. He was like, he was in it. Like he really uh-huh. he loved it. I mean, there was a lot of he got a lot of negative stuff from some of those posts, but he doesn't care about any of that stuff. But like people were just like, oh my god. But I was getting texts from random people like, that's so amazing. Your son's so proud to do that. And people hit me up saying. You know, my, my kid is transgens, my, my, this, all people hit me up yeah. from all different walks of life saying this is so amazing and so powerful that your son had the balls to do that and he did it. And yeah, it was a really proud moment, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the anti-bullying thing and, and you know, is so central to like your message and even like on all your merch and your swag, it's like, yeah. you know, and racism and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like, and that's just seems like an outgrowth of just this PMA sensibility that goes way back to the day. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I feel like uh, it's very contagious to be a positive and to be um, and do the best you can. Like I, I also post that I'm not perfect. I don't wake up every day like everything's wonderful, and I, I get depressed, I get sad, I go through anxiety, do all that stuff. I try to work out and push through it. But you know, the main thing is trying to push positivity because I feel like it's really helped me in my life. I feel like you put negative energy out there, it comes back to you. It comes uh-huh. back to you and who you surround yourself with. And positivity has always been 
something I live by with my band, with my marriage and being a father, it's really helped me. And um, just seeing the good in everything. It would be wild to like wake up Napoleon Hill from the dead <laughs> and go, dude, do you realize like how your work has like permeated this subculture in a certain way and still lives on? Yeah. It's, you see that like some of his family members, they have an Instagram for him now. Oh, they do? Yeah, it's really, uh, it's really popular. And so they do cool. like live feeds and stuff, but somebody from his family are running that. Yeah, it's just with that book in the 60s, it's Think and Grow Rich and Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. Right. I always try to push those books because those are, the, those are the ones that inspired the bad brain. So then inspired me, you know, right. and John right, and stuff. Right, right, right. That's wild, Yeah, just man. that thinking, that mentality. It's, it's really powerful, man. Well, growing up without a dad, did you, you know, seek out like father figures in the scene? Like who were, who were the guys that kind of, you know, watched out for you? 100% the scene, Kevin Seconds from a band called Seven Seconds, one of my favorite bands. He was a total father figure to me. He knows it. I'm friends with him now. Um, Ian Mackay from Mind and Threat, 100%. Uh -huh. um, you know, I live with the Gorilla Biscuits guys in Queens. That's where I got into vegetarianism. So like Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today, there were big impacts on my life. Um, and even like Rusty Pistachio, the guitar player in my band, um, he was like a father figure to me, looking out for yeah. me. Um, but definitely in the music, yeah, I looked up to these bands, Milo from Descendants, you go to these shows and you see these guys on stage and you love their music and the lyrics and they inspire you. And then to, after they're done playing, they're standing right next to you at the merch booth and you get to go say hi to them and talk to them. And that's so powerful in the punk rock community that you know everybody's all equal. You know, and to be able to talk to your heroes like that, it was really impactful on my life. Yeah, for sure. Wow. And write them letters. I got postcards from Ian Mackay, postcards from Ian Mackay from the '80s. It's awesome. It's crazy. Yeah. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
So where does the, the vegetarian veganism thing start to happen for you? So that kicks in in uh, 1988. You know, I was a hip hop kid and punk rock kid and um, KRS wanted the song called My Philosophy. Yeah. We talked about vegetarianism and I love KRS one. I thought he was one of the, still one of the greatest rappers ever. And he started singing about that. And I was living with Gorilla Biscuits and I um, became vegetarian because of them. And then I sang on the record, Start Today. And then a song called Cats and Dogs. And the chorus was Thou Shall Not Kill. So that was really powerful being part of that record. Right. And we're all part of this like straight edge, vegetarian, um, hardcore scene. And there was pamphlets at all the shows. And then there was Shelter became, they brought Christian into the scene. So it was like around 88 where uh-huh. everything changed for me. Being in New York yeah. at that time was just, it was so powerful. Yeah, John always says, Ital is vital. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you ever go to Angelica's kitchen? Oh yeah, man. Like, yeah. But he, he, I think he worked there or he worked somewhere, he worked at some like natural food market, but that yeah. must've been earlier. He worked at Prana Foods maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where Chaka worked uh-huh. and Mark Subacharch, tons of bands worked there. And then there was, um, yeah, Down to Earth where Siv worked and Purcell worked, like all the hardcore dudes worked at these vegetarian right. health food stores. You could always go get like a free, scrounge a free meal from yes. these dudes. And then there was Kate's joint. Yeah, there was, man. But I'd say John, yeah, Angelica's was great. A good friend of mine worked that place for a long time. Angelica's was great. RIP, it's, yeah. no, it's no longer. I know. But now it's Organic Grill. It's a great place yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Val. I like Candle though. Vlad, like Candle 79? Vlad. I do. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's that's like the that's like the crossroads of New York. Totally. You know, it's like the fancy, the fancy place. Yeah, that's what Tall used to be too. So. Right, I know. What up, Tall? Tall's the man. So yes. you know Tall from that scene as well, right? Yeah, I know Tall from the New York scene. Yeah, he used to come to our shows. And uh, funny story is that, I think in 1989, he, hadn't, he didn't have enough money and he went to go buy a t-shirt from Sick of It All and I was at Rody and he was a little, he was a younger kid and he only had five bucks. So I sold him that t-shirt. And when I reconnected with him like nine or 10 years ago, uh, he told me that story and how he still had the same t-shirt and never wow. forgot that day. It's pretty amazing, man. That's crazy. And that's how we reconnected actually. Yeah. And for people that are listening, Tal Ronan is the, the chef and the proprietor of Crossroads, which yes. is like not only the best vegan restaurant in LA, Facts. it's like the best restaurant in LA yes. period. Yes, agreed, um, 100%. Travis Barker, who's been on the show as part owner. Part of that, you yep. just had your birthday party there, right? Yep. 50? No, 49. 49, all right, man, you got another year. <laughs> 49, but that was like a who's who of like musician, vegan people. Yeah, it was like awesome. Moby and yeah. you know, like there, <laughs> Travis. Good, yeah, it was a good vibe. Uh-huh. I love Crossroads, but I'm so proud of Tall and everything he's done. It's so crazy what he's veganism. built. Yeah, mm. it's just the world peace starts in the kitchen. It's so smart and so true. Yeah. So how do you think about that like spiritually? What, the veganism? Yeah. I mean, I feel like living a cruelty-free life and not harming animals and not harming the planet and doing the best you can every day is such a spiritual life. And it's such a positive thing to be involved in. I feel like it makes you a better person. Uh, It makes me feel um, happy with what I'm doing for the planet. I don't know, I just feel like everything about it is, uh, it's been a spiritual journey, especially seeing how the world's changing and seeing how it affects other people. And um, I don't know, I just, I don't know. I I feel like if everybody was living this way, it'd just be such a different world, man. It's just. I know, I know we're getting there. I know someday it could happen when I'm gone and my son's still walking this planet that you know, slaughterhouses are gone and all that stuff. But I feel like the spiritual journey for me has been um, knowing every day that I'm not hurting anything or hurting anyone and doing my best to be a perfect human, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, for me, it's, I don't know. It's just something positive. It's something that um, I feel like is no brainer. I feel like there's so many options. It's, it's, it's 2019. 
I can't stand when people say, where do you get your protein from? It makes me so angry. Um, it's just, it's just easy. As a non-judgmental dude, you should be able to like manage that one because you know it's coming. <laughs> no. It's an opportunity if like, look, sometimes somebody's throwing that at you, but sometimes they really don't know. It's true. You know? Yeah, I, I like to post stuff about that a lot and put proteins up and pictures of gorillas and stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's an amazing time to be a vegan. It's an amazing time to see the planet change. And I never expected to be like this with the fast food spots and just people that I grew up with and people that known I've been like this, all of a sudden they are not because of me. Maybe it's because of health reasons or they watched what the health or something, but they changed. I'm like, oh my God, really you? Didn't you know that was me the whole time next to you? But I never said anything to them like, yeah. be like me. Um, it's just cool to see people more conscious. You yeah. know, um, There's a song by Youth of Today called No More. And it was an anti-meat song in the 80s. And they're like, they're like smashing hamburgers and stuff. And one of the lyrics is, um, we'll have a more conscious, caring society. And that's exactly what we're having right now. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah. What was the kind of freestyle that you threw down in your podcast where you're like, no meat, straight, no drugs? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, no. Oh, that was did you like, just make that up or was that from yeah. the song? I, I thought you were just- <laughs> No, I just made it up on a whim. I did a freestyle yeah. for my first podcast, yeah. yeah. I never get into, I, I love hip hop so much, but uh -huh. I can, I would never rap because right. I respect the culture too much. But Veggie T would be a good name though. Yeah. Do you, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you're like a grounded, you, you seem like you have a good, like healthy grasp on, on like humility and gratitude. Like, is that, a, is that a practice? Does that come natural? Is that an outgrowth of just kind of like this lifestyle that you've been living for so long? Or how do you think about that? I don't really think about it. I mean, I definitely, I definitely feel that I'm very lucky to do what I love for this many years. And I've built this, life for myself through kind of, through pretty much nothing. And I'm very, um, I, I, I appreciate it and love it. Um, I worked hard to get to where I am with my band. And, um, but the fact that I have no boss and I get to do what I want and still play music at 49 years old, I'm very lucky. I hate to say the word, I hate, hate to throw the word blessed around because that's thrown out around a lot. I definitely pay my dues and I'm blessed to be still doing what I do. And I feel like the key to being positive and being happy, it can't happen for everyone, but if you do, doing what you love is the key to that, man. I feel like mm. doing what you love keeps you positive and happy, keeps you young. Um, I know there's people that are positive that work crappy jobs from nine to five and they hate it and they work in a cubicle and, they, and, they're, and, they're, and they're positive too. But I, I feel like to really have control of your life and be your own boss and do what you love, I really, I feel like there's no reason why you shouldn't be happy and be positive because yeah. you get to do what you love. And I feel like I'm very lucky to still do that. I don't really have a plan B. I never really had a plan B. I just live my life. And that's kind of stressed my wife out for a whole marriage um, is that I just, I just live and I just, I never had a plan. I just did it. I did the uh -huh. band and it's 25 years later. I have a nonprofit. I speak at schools, have a podcast. I have a couple of things I do. My merch does really well. I'm thankful for that, but I just get to live this life. And I think it kind of, kind of bugs people out a lot. Cause I'm like, if like, you're just a hardcore dude in the band. How are you doing this? I just, I hustle, man. I really, I really focus on trying to do good and put good out there and, I don't know, I man. I just, I live a good life. I'm, I'm yeah. very lucky. I'm healthy. Let's get all my blood checked. I get my heart checked because I was always worried about my dad and get all that done. And every time I get that done, my doctor's like, you're healthy as an 18 year old girl. I'm like, nice. A vegan life, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no plan B. I mean, I would imagine when you said I'm going to New York, there were a bunch of people rolling their eyes or oh like, we'll God. see how long this is going to last. But yeah. to like show up and like create something out of nothing. And, you know, if, if you could like go back and, and, and talk to that 18 year old kid as a 49 year old who's still like doing 
the thing that you were trying to do at that age, it's like insane. I mean, what an incredible gift. Yeah, it's and it's like, I wasn't, I'm not a singer. Like I just, it just, it just started singing. I didn't plan that. I, I went to New York, I had to do some music, worked at record labels, was a roadie, then started the band. And then, yeah, I, mean, I met my wife on tour. Like so many good things happened when I got involved in, in this scene in New York. Cause I'd already been in Rhode Island and DC, but New York was something way special. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just, I feel like it is the positivity. It's not giving up. It's focusing on what you love. It's sticking to it. It's staying relevant. It's uh, keeping the passion. I still love what I do. My band and my brothers, I hang out with them on a daily basis. I talk to them every day. We love each other. It's not going on stage, going through the motions for money. We love each other. We love these songs. We still live these lyrics that we wrote over 25 years ago. It's the same guys in the band from yeah, day one? Yeah, everybody except for my brother, yeah. Wow. He goes back and forth. He's an right. offspring now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's the same guys, man. I mean, it's, most bands, you know, don't make it past, you know, the first year or two, right? And to be still doing it together and to say you love those guys, like that's like what is that what is that like recipe? I, I don't I think it's just we never took ourselves too seriously. We're not the tightest band. We are pretty sloppy at times, mm. but it's about the message and how we get it out. We love each other. We're, we're just friends and we love what we do. And we've had different, a million managers and booking agents. We're on a major label, independent label. We were on Conan O'Brien, we were on MTV, but all that stuff didn't affect who we were as people. Uh-huh. Like it didn't matter what label we were on. We were still the same dudes and we always stayed humble and really appreciated where we were. We played Conan O'Brien, had John Joseph in the audience. He was like the only friend we had in the audience. He was like yelling <laughs> in between takes. And on all the amps. Yo, Toby! Yeah, he was so proud. <laughs> and we wore like all of our friends' favorite band tees. We took tape and did shout outs and tags all over our amps because we knew that this may never happen again. And it didn't, but we yeah. were the first New York Harker band to be on late night television. We were so excited, man. We appreciated it. And that just those moments like that, we've never took for granted. And um I think people can relate to our lyrics and they know it's coming from, some, from somewhere real and real experiences. I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. I had my wife on the cover of my first seven inch. I've always put my family out there. I've always shared my life with people. I have nothing to hide. I'm just, this is who I am. And um, I don't know. I just feel like that resonates with people and, and we're lucky that people can connect to it, you know? Well, I think it's anchored in the DIY roots of of the hardcore, you know, subculture because you weren't you didn't set out to become a pop star or no. like a huge rock and roll band. No. That world is all about stickers and flyers yes. and your friends and, and it's like you're not you're you're not in it to like get huge, no. right? So anything that comes out of it is like gravy. So it's almost like the healthy gratitude for anything that happens is 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 packed into it. 100%, like, yeah, there was, there was no goals of like, we need to be on television and the radio. It was none of that stuff. We just want to play music was there tour. The, was, the, was there some backlash though after Conan, like uh, like the sellout Oh thing? yeah, for sure, yeah. because we just signed to a major label right. and that, that was like right with the internet and the, uh, the message board started popping and people would talk a lot of crap on there. But I think really <laughs> affect, I mean, we got a lot, of, uh-huh. you know, a lot of shit for that record. But once again, we took a chance and we did a record that was with a bigger producer and we had a more, uh, polished sound because we were listening to not just Harker, we listened to other types of music and we had an opportunity and we went to MC and we tried it and it didn't work out, we mm-hmm. tried it. And then, but but the Conan O'Brien thing happened at the same time. Like, oh, now they're on television. Right. And it's like, you, wouldn't you want like your favorite band to like get their message out further? If you believe in their message, wouldn't you want other people to hear the message too and get it out to a bigger audience? And that was the whole thing for us. Like we wouldn't just tour with Harker bands, we tour with poppy bands. We'd, we'd take chances and have an audience who never heard us before. I love the challenge to win them over. And we just wanna get the message out. 
And that was our whole point from day one, using this band as a vessel to spread our message. Uh-huh. And so um, we tried with the major label. It wasn't a horrible thing, but we got, we got caught up in the mix of the other bands and the timing and stuff. But it was, a, it was a fun experience, you know? Yeah. Well, as somebody who lives their life pretty transparently online and as, as somebody who's all about positivity, how do you navigate like the treacherous waters of like toxic social media? It's, it's hard. It can be really draining. Like yeah. sometimes I tell my friends that I'm too, I'm too emo for Instagram. I'm too emo yeah. for that because sometimes I do let it get to me. Emo dad. Emo dad. And sometimes I do even like, it could be like a hundred amazing comments and then one negative one. I'm just like, I don't know. I just get bummed. And sometimes uh-huh. I'll DM like, hey, I try to have a conversation because I want to know what the problem is. I want to talk to him about it. I don't just want to delete them or block them. I actually try to see what your, what your beef is with me first. Because I do take it, maybe I take it personally because it's, it's my everything, it's my heart. And yeah. what I put out there is really me. It's like, I'm not, I'm not candy coating anything I post, it's really me. And sometimes people take that as, really, that's you? Like some people get bummed, like Coldplay, they get so offended by that because I'm supposed to be a hardcore dude. I can't like other types of music. Right. But yeah, it's hard, man. It's a really positive tool to promote yourself and promote a message and promote your merchandise and you know spread everything you're doing. And on the other hand, it's like a real negative, dark place, man. Yeah. And sometimes you get caught up in that, just getting caught up going down these rabbit holes. Dark spirals. Yeah. Even like political stuff, just everything. It's like it's draining, man. Yeah. I guess you could check on your phone how many hours you spend on that. I haven't done that yet. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> My wife tried making me do it the other day. I shouldn't. I know, but like at the same time it's like I tell you, when when Instagram went down a couple weeks ago for like that 15 hours or whatever, I had a drop I was dropping on Friday and I just realized in that day, like, holy crap, this is how I make my living. It's really scary. That's how I promote all my stuff. I'm on Twitter too, but like, and Facebook, but like, I'm like, wow, this is such a powerful tool. And like, I hope it's up so I can promote my new thing dropping Friday. It's kind of scary, man. Yeah, that if it if it got taken away, then you're you're cut off at the ankles. Yeah, that's kind of scary, man. Yeah, that's, but you probably yeah. do. You have like an email list and stuff like that. Like that's that's, that's old like school. A, I should. That's, yeah, you should, man. <laughs> I, I would think like anybody from hardcore would have like some crazy email list of people that I, goes back to you know <laughs> the '90s. Maybe Facebook we could do it. Yeah, that, that was a scary moment. I was like, holy crap, this is kind of. I would say make money from touring. That's all. Yeah. But I like that you're like a lover. You're like, yeah, I love Coldplay. Like Dude. you did that bit, you put that, that posted that thing about the Backstreet Boys. Love Backstreet Boys. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because like, like the, the toughest dudes- people off guard. I know. You know? And the toughest dudes be like, you're like that too. Like I'll see some of the uh-huh. comments. It's like, it's okay to like other types of music. You can be hardcore, you can be tatted up, but it's okay to like other music, man. You shouldn't live your life with blinders on. It's like- How about just celebrating any artist that's putting themselves out there trying to do something? 100%. You know? 100%, man. Like. Dude, if people knew all the band tattoos I had on my body of like U2 and Madonna and all this stuff, they'd be like, what? I mean, people do know. I have like a hundred band tattoos uh-huh. and it's not just hardcore. Like I like everything. I like to keep my mind open. Where did the, uh, t- walk me through how you got involved in, in doing the public speaking thing with kids. Oh yeah. So I have a, a nonprofit called One Life, One Chance. It's, it's named after a, one of our songs from our record, uh, FTTW 1999. Basically, there was a girl at a school in Far Rockaway, Queens, who was a fan of H2O. And um, she made a PMA mix CD for her her students for a spring break. And it was like all a bunch of bands and just one song by H2O, it's called Sunday. It's a heavy song about my dad um, and becoming a dad. And so when they came back, the number one song on this PMA mix CD they connected to was this song called Sunday. 
And so she's like, I'm going to send you some letters. So she sent me letters from every mm-hmm. kid in the class breaking down to me why they love that song. I, I could get through maybe the third one. I was bawling just reading these letters. These kids knew nothing about hardcore or punk rock, nothing. She's like, next time you come to New York, come by and meet these. You should talk to them. I'm like, about what? She's like, are you straight edge? You're vegan. You're a dad. You're fully tattooed, stereotypes. I was like, okay. So I started writing all these notes and cue cards. I put a PowerPoint presentation together, which I'd never done in my life. I was so freaked out. Like TED Talk. I was you know. so nervous, man. I went to the school. There were metal detectives. It was super gnarly. Get into the classroom, have my, power, my PowerPoint, have all my cards. And I just have my mic. And then like, I just start talking. I start doing my thing. I didn't look at my cards one time ever again. Mm. Never had to. Started telling my story. And then like after that, I did a Q&A and everybody stood up and asked me questions. They read me their letters. It was hugging. It was crying. It was such, this, it's a connection I have never experienced in my life. It's not like playing a show where kids know who you are. They come see you. They pay the money. They sing along. These kids didn't know who I was. I'm some tattooed freak in the front of the class telling my story. And I talked about, I talk about my friends who passed from drugs and alcohol growing up with no dad, racism, positivity, punk rock, skateboarding, everything. And um, it's just really connected. And I remember walking out of that school, my friend Von Lewis, who took me and the tall was there too. Mm. And I said, I want to do that. I, I want to keep doing this. And then immediately once I posted about it, every single punk rock hardcore kid who was like on the PTA or like a teacher or a counselor or a principal, all hitting me up. So just on the strength of me and my band, I started going to all these schools. Wow. And so- yeah, Tall drove you to that first one. Yeah, right? he did. Yeah, yeah. He was like talking, I was so nervous. So what were you, what, what was the message? Like, what were you imparting that, that connected so deeply with these kids? I, I think for those kids that I'm up there with a t-shirt, I'm covered in tattoos. As soon as I walk in, there's no way in the world they even know what straight edge is or would ever imagine that somebody who does what I do and looks like I look would never try drugs and alcohol. That, Totally bugged out the kids, first and foremost. I wasn't saying I'm a recovering addict. I lost my wife and my kids for drugs. I never experienced any of it. Most of the kids I spoke to probably had more experience with drugs than I did. Uh, and then I just told this story. These are my friends. These are some people you might recognize who are celebrities who live a straight edge vegan lifestyle, whatever. I had a bunch of friends in there and they were connecting with that. And I think it was just a connection to me just being real and honest. And then the Q&A is my favorite part because that's when people actually, actually really... In, serious questions. Some people uh-huh. pull me to the side after the, after the thing and they start crying, tell me about like how the mom and dad fight in the house and smoke weed or my, my daughter lost her life to uh, drunk driving. Just crazy, intense stories. Like, and by the time I'm out of there, kids are like handing me, from the time I do the second presentation, they're like writing One Life, One Chance and straight as and drawing me all these pictures. They're DMing me. It, it's an immediate co- uh, connection. It's, it's so overwhelming. And um, I don't know, my main fear going there was like, I can't swear. I'm such a sailor on stage. I can't say fuck. I can't swear. I was so scared about swearing the whole entire time. I've never sworn at any schools. I've done like 36 schools. I never wow. swore once. But um, yeah, it was really, I think John came to one, I think in New York. We gave away a drum set to a school needed. Travis, uh-huh. I did a video with Travis. We surprised the school and gave a drum set. I started asking schools what they needed for their music departments. It got really good, but it was just really hard to do that because there's a lot of red tape involved. It's not like booking a show. They want you when they want you. And so I was trying to do H2O shows and then do a school, but I'd be like so tired by the time I get to the school. It's hard, man, because the schools that really want you have no money to get you there. Yeah. So that became really frustrating for me. And um, I haven't done one in a minute because I get really busy with my band. And um, I don't know, I just love it. So I just spiraled from that. Then I just took like a year to get my nonprofit status. That's amazing. I have a board of directors. 
right now. Um, and how do you, how are you raising money and what are you doing with the money that you raise for that? I haven't raised really any money. I mean, yeah. Travis Barker stepped <laughs> in, it's really hard. Travis uh-huh. Barker stepped in the first time and he helped me out. We had merchandise and all this yeah. cool stuff he raises. Thank you, Travis, for that. For a couple of schools, he got me. And then just, I just been doing it myself. I do it for free. I just go out and play a show and I book around it. I'm not, I wasn't trying, I'm not trying to make money off it. I love mm-hmm. talking to the kids and spreading the message. But in reality, it's really hard to get me across the country to do that. You know, and um, so just basically using the nonprofit to to underwrite the expenses required so that you can show up at these schools. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I would do was talk. I've met with so many different people in the course of ten years about what they could do and wanted to do, and it all fell through, or just different ideas and like this traveling school tour, which we tried to do, which have been awesome. Like I wanted, I still want to do it. I love doing it. I still get hit up about doing it all the time. It's just frustrating because it's just hard to do it especially with my tour schedule and everything else going on, I'm trying to balance it all, but I love doing it. And all the people that got me to the schools, the first ones, I appreciate them for believing in me to come there because I didn't have any, I didn't go to college to be a speaker or anything. It's like, I didn't have any background for this. I'm not a psychologist or anything. I'm just me. I'm just a singer in a punk band. Yeah, but that's what's powerful. That's yeah, what connects with people. That's what it's I think. that truth and authenticity and that lack of judgment and, and just having your guard down and speaking to them like human beings. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was very... It was very real and just honest. And I just, I just told everything about my life and just, yeah, I mean, so I think that's really what connected with it originally. And um, yeah, it was really fun doing that. I wanna keep doing it. It's just, it's just hard. It sucks because I waited so long to get my nonprofit and I, was, I have a nonprofit. I'm really not doing anything with it now. So yeah, I'll definitely get back to it once I'm done uh, right. on my touring life. Well, I've got a teenage daughter and a preteen daughter. I got two older boys that are musicians that just moved out. They live in Echo Park now. Oh, awesome. Pursuing the music thing. That's awesome. Um, I'll tell you more about that later. Yeah. But, uh, but with the daughters, um, especially the teenage daughter, like I'm I'm really in touch with just how intense um, like the peer pressure is and the sort of um, pressures that come with adhering to kind of a certain social structure and how important it is like where you fall in that kind of like pecking order of your friends. And it's so intense and it's just exacerbated by, you know, the phones that we have in our pockets that basically allow, you know, young people to kind of see where everybody is at all moments and who's doing well and who's not and the FOMO and like who the cool kids are. Like, it's just, yeah, I can't imagine having to contend with that when I was at that age. Yeah, we didn't have phones. So we like played outside, we skated, we did creative things, went to shows, we did all kinds of cool things. We got to do that. And so it's like my son would never know a world without phones or social media. And it's crazy to see him on his phone. And I, I don't even know what he's, I, I, try, I try to like, be in the mix on what he's, I totally trust him. I know he's not doing anything crazy, but it's just the pressures and the different things. And it's just like this Kardashian world of like expectations for women to look a certain way and be a certain way. And yeah, you're looking at people and seeing what they're doing. Are they really doing that? Are you not doing that? Like the whole, that whole, um, whole fire festival thing. That is a right. perfect example of it. But just like the realness of it. And like you said, like being accepted and being down and everybody's at Coachella just to get their picture taken at Coachella. Right. Really don't care about the music. And I feel like- um, Somebody posted the other day, I saw like, um, if they just had those like fancy backdrops at, at, at Coachella <laughs> and there were no bands, like all the same people would still show up. It's true, man. Instagram pictures. <laughs> it's true, man. It's like that. that. And like also yeah. just with the bullying too, like you, we, we would go to school and people would talk crap to us. And then we'd go home with our parents and we'd be safe. It just continues now on the phones all night long, whether at home, on the phone, social media. I, the, the kids can't escape any kind of pressure or negativity now. Yeah. It's with them 24 seven. And um, it's scary. It's definitely scary being a parent 
definitely scared with that. But I, that's what I'm saying. The communication is super important. As long as you communicate with your kids, you know exactly what they're going through and dealing with. Uh, hopefully, they tell you everything. But as I see my son taking selfies all day, I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm doing my, I'm doing. I forgot what it's called, man. My streams uh, or oh, something. The, no, the streaks. The streaks. I'm yeah. doing my streaks. Is like." And like we, my friend, my friends is like, but that's like the program is designed to keep you on it by like creating this pressure around these streaks. It's insane. You're it's, just playing into their own game, like I their know. game that they set the rules to. I think Steve Jobs said like he wanted to create like the human extension, uh, extension of the human body. I think that's what he was saying about the phone. It actually, yeah, but true. he wouldn't let his kids use the phone or the iPad. Really? Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, it's it's right? it's intense. I feel like there's so much before like. For young girls, it'd be the magazines they got and like see the skinny models on the front. They'd have to go like to, to the, get a subscription or go buy the magazines in the mall. Now it's just like scrolling. Right. I look like that. I need to look like that. Get my lips like that. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine, man, the pressures, right. especially where we live. Yeah. We're like in the heart of it, man. This I know. Is like, it's the belly of the beast. It is. And the Kardashians this, are right down the road here. <laughs> you know are, what I mean? They're like true. literally down the street from us. And then they had the lip and, challenge that one time that people were cutting uh, their faces. They were sucking on glass to make the lips pop. That was a crazy thing too. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh yeah, it was like the lip challenge where they put their lips in a glass and they suck it out and then the lips would pop and then to, to get fat lips for a minute. Oh my God. It's just crazy. It's, and, it's, and it's just like, uh, and the people like not really working hard to be famous. They want to be famous on social media and make money off that, but really have no, you can be pretty and stuff. It just, like the work ethic, it's just all that's so different now. In YouTube, just be famous, do a couple goofy videos. Yeah. You could be like multimillionaire. My son's telling me about all these YouTubers and stuff. I'm like, what? With these big houses and all these cars from just doing YouTube silly videos. It's crazy, it's man. It's a crazy world out there. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Well, one of the things that you talk about all the time is like role models. Like, how can you be a role model? Like, some people don't want to be a role model. A lot of musicians are like, "I'm a, you know, I'm a musician. I'm not a role model." But you've kind of like stepped willingly, like kind of embraced this role. And one of the things you talk about all the time is like, "Look, we don't have. We need healthier role models out there for for young people, especially you know, given what you just said." Hundred percent. And like, first and foremost, 
not just a role model as a musician, but as a parent. I think it's our number one job to be role models for our parent, uh, for our children, because if we're not their role models, they're gonna find it in somebody else that may not be so positive, inspirational, and compassionate. They would look outside their household um, for some, I don't know, some other artist or just whoever, maybe somebody at their school. Or... So it's really important to be a role model for our children so they can look up to look up to us. And they, don't, they don't have to look up to us, but we want to lead by example. Just like I say in my music and everything I post, I want to lead by example, be living proof that you can live a certain way and still have a fun, successful, happy life. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as role models concerned, I don't consider myself one maybe, I, can, I try to be the best in my as a husband and as a father. And if I am one in music, that's great. I feel like not to toot my own horn, but yeah, if I if I was if I was to be a role model for somebody, um, maybe I'm a good example because I don't I don't do drugs, I don't party, I don't eat animals, I I, I exercise, I try to be positive, I try to get a good message out there. I'm not telling people to look up to me. I'm not telling people that I should be their role model. But you know, when you have this platform and you you sing in a band and you inspire people, you do have some sort of role of like. Um, uh, accountability, not accountability, maybe if you're writing these lyrics that people love and, they, and you should be living by those lyrics. Some people just don't live their lyrics or live what they're talking about or singing about. Uh-huh. And I live those lyrics. And so if people look up to me for a certain song that I wrote, yeah, I wrote that song and I meant it and I live it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just me and I, I'm not trying to be like, look at me, you should look up to me and I'm, I should be your role model. But as far as my son is concerned, like he tells me all the time that I'm his role model and I'm like his hero or whatever. And that's just me being me. I'm not trying to portray a certain image or portray a certain thing to uh, make myself look better because I'm not a perfect person, like I keep saying. But um, yeah, for role models for my son, oh man, he likes- I mean, it doesn't get better than that for your son. I know, but he likes some hip hop and I'm just like, oh my (laughs) God. But that's what they're supposed to do. I know. They're supposed to- Listen, There's you know this as well as anyone. <laughs> the next generation is supposed to fall in music, in love with music that you don't understand. True, but like everything I represent is the total opposite yeah. of the hip hop. That's because you to. have an expectation that you've been like, I'm the most open-minded person in the world when it comes to music. So of course he goes and he finds the one kind of music that It'll you bum can't me wrap out. your head around. <laughs> You gotta like celebrate that because that's it's true. your DNA. Yeah, you know, and, and you know it's true. And I say this at the schools too. Like I met I met Snoop Dogg. I love Snoop Dogg, but I don't smoke weed like Snoop Dogg. Uh-huh. That's what I say at the schools. You can love an artist, look up to them, love their music, but don't have to try to be exactly like them. So it's like, yeah, my son listens to like Little Pump, but my son doesn't do any drugs. So that's well, my that's daughter a good thing. loves like some pretty hardcore hip hop. Like what? They're just I, I mean, dude, I, I you know I don't even know. Like that's how old and out of it I am. But like <laughs> it's all about like, you know, smoking weed and like, you know, the the bitches and like, and she's like a very strong um, convicted person. Like, I don't worry about her. She's a, you know, she knows what she wants out of life. And like, she, she doesn't take any shit from anyone. And like, she's, you know, got her stuff together in a big way, but I'm like confused. Yeah. Like, why, why are you into this like misogynistic, you know, kind of music and like, you don't understand. Like it's it's the same thing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I I love Snoop Dogg. I never smoked weed. I love gangster rap. I never been arrested. I never I never, you know what I mean. So that kind of I, I like a lot of hard stuff too. It doesn't mean that I, I think I'm hard or I think I should be like them. I appreciate appreciate their story and their message, where they come from, uh, the music, the beat, the lyrics. That's so much. I, I mean, I love hip hop, but I, obviously I don't. I didn't grow up in the way 
certain rappers did, but I, I respect it and like it. So she might be like, I, I get this vibe is coming from a different perspective and a different mm-hmm. community in life. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's weird how the kids are connected to some really crazy hip hop, man. Like really like violent and, it's weird also how in the Me Too era, like all of that stuff somehow gets a pass. Yeah. Like, why aren't we like up in arms about some of that stuff? It's true, but it's been going you on know? for so long too. Like with Two Live, Two like all that stuff. how Snoop gets to smoke dope wherever he goes. Like it's just they're grandfathered in or something. Yeah, like, maybe, I yeah. I don't know what it is. You know? <laughs> Grandfathered <laughs> phone plan. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Everybody, yeah, that's true. It's just part of, it's part of Spursano. It's part yeah. of who he is. I mean, it's interesting. It's weird, right? Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere I go have a green juice. Oh my green juice. <laughs> yeah, right. Um one of the things that I that I do worry about with the phones and the technology and all of that, and I'm interested in your perspective as a creative person, is is it seems like you have to really have discipline and erect boundaries around these things in order to find like the internal time to kind of tap into that creativity. Like you got, in order to be an expressive person, you have to allow yourself to be bored, right? Yeah. We, we no be longer, inspired. never have to be bored again. We're always entertained. And I feel like that, and I see this in my own self, like that can be a barricade or a block to actually tapping into the things that, you know, are percolating under the surface that I want to express. But if I'm just scrolling all the time, yeah. or standing in lines or whatever, like I never get to connect with that. And when you have a younger generation that's coming up that doesn't know what it's like to have those kinds of experiences, what is that gonna look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now in terms of the kind of art that's gonna get created? I know it's scary because I I, I saw like um, when Kanye West was doing his record, he like totally turned off and went to Montana or something like to get away from all that. And I think that's what people have to do, they have to turn have off to. their phones, yeah, and go to some secluded area and try to get inspired. But it's kind of, for me, I don't know if I could go to some like woods and try to get inspired to write a song, I don't know. I like the energy of the people around me. I like living and being involved in things and being inspired like that. Well, not, life, not, life enriches art, but that's different from being addicted to your screen. I know. I feel like kids now, they, they, they click through and they say, oh, I wanna be like that or sound like that or look like that. And that's how they get inspired. They kind of want to kind of copy it. I don't know. Yeah, originality is kind of. But there's a difference between consuming that content, and it's fine to be inspired by certain people versus you know using those devices to create because they're also super powerful for that. Like you see kids that are 12 years old that that look you know that could like edit a feature movie. You know yeah, that, I mean? yeah, that's true. That's so. true. That's crazy, man. And think of like all the photographers now, right? maybe losing jobs and money because phones are just, right? You take mm-hmm. photos with that, like all the photography they use on phones and just the different things you could do with the phone they don't really have to have an education for, a skill for, and just, I don't know, it's, yeah, man. I haven't, read, I haven't wrote a record in a while, but when I do, I definitely don't get inspired by my phone for sure. I start just writing stuff and go in my backyard and my picnic table and just start writing ideas and things that I wanna sing about and what I'm inspired about. Um, How does that process look for you? I just I just write down, basically when I write songs, I take a notebook like that and I just write down this things that I'm feeling or thoughts or even like an idea, like I'm gonna write a song about skating or this and that, I just write it and just start writing stuff. And then I put it all together and make it sound right. You know what I mean? I just, I just write. And then I try to put everything together and make it make sense. Um, but yeah, I just think about things I'm going through in life. It's for me, it's like, I don't know if I'm gonna make another record. We did a record like, I don't know, four years ago. 
And it was like, I felt like that was like one of our last records and we never forced records. Like we've been together 25 years and maybe have six albums. That's really mm -hmm. bad for mm -hmm. a band's career. That's not a lot of records. Um, so I feel like we, we make records when we're inspired. We don't, we don't like some bands just put records out every year so they can go tour, but we don't do that. We just wait to inspire. But yeah, I have been really inspired to really write about things. Uh -huh. I feel like. But you still tour like every year, right? Yeah, touring is different for sure. Uh -huh. We have like a catalog of songs and we're celebrating 25 years this year. We're celebrating 20 years of one of our other records. So every year we have an anniversary, which is awesome uh -huh. when you become an older band, you can go and go on these tours and celebrate. Do you do oh, those like summer festivals and yeah. all that? Like what are some of the good places where you have a huge fan base? Um, Europe's amazing. South America is incredible. Uh -huh. That's our biggest places is Europe and South America. America's great. It's just been oversaturated with bands for many, many years. We have great places in, we play in the US, but it's not like, it is in Europe, in South yeah. America, and, would, and Southeast Asia. Would you have thought that like hardcore would still be kicking it like this, this <laughs> this many years, <laughs> you know, after? I, I don't. I, I never even thought about that. And, uh, and I have friends who have been in bands for like over thirty years, and they still kill it. And they tour full time. They're older than me. They're still great live, and they still make records, and people still care. And it's it's an amazing uh -huh. genre of music, man. There's something about hardcore and punk that. It just goes for generations and generations and nobody has to be selling millions of albums or on television. It's yeah. just this underground family. And you're very just, lucky. You can make your living, you can make your way. Totally. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm very lucky. The festivals in Europe are amazing. And the thing about Europe is like they stack a festival. So it could be like H2O, Wu Tang Clan, Agnostic Front, Chromags. It could be all these bands together on one festival that would never happen in America. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like in Czech Republic or in Belgium, there's like, I end up playing with my friends mostly overseas than I do in America because you cross wow. paths with them all summer long. Uh -huh. It's really awesome. I check the schedule. Oh, I'm gonna play with those guys, those guys. It's really cool. You've toured with some big bands though over the years. Yeah, we definitely, uh, we did some great tours with some diverse, popular bands. Yeah, like uh, I remember, um, what's that band? 30 Seconds to Mars was opening up for us on uh -huh. one of the tours we did before wow. they blew up with the used and we did Boxcar Racer, Newfound Glory, Blink-182. Rancid, the Mighty Boston's. They took nice. us on our first couple of tours. Wow. Yeah, I'm yeah, very on lucky. That, on that uh, on that note of like, you don't have to be the biggest band in the world if you have like just a devoted fan base and you can like make a living and do your thing. The Thirty Seconds to Mars guys really like figured that out. Like, yeah, how to just go direct to their audience and not worry about you know Billboard and like record companies and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that they do, maybe you know about this or have been to it, they do this annual thing called Camp Mars. Yeah, I heard about, heard that. about yeah, that. Yeah, like I watched right, your doc too. It's yeah. right down the street here. Like okay. they rent out like this camp, campground. I think it's like a former like YMCA camp or whatever. And for a couple days, like an extended weekend, they open it up to like their hardcore fans who come from like all over the world who get to like live in these cabins for a couple days. Oh, and, wow. And the band is like there and they perform at night and they're kind of available and they hang out. That's awesome. And they have cool people come in and speak and it's all very like positive and there's no like, there's no booze. It's like oh, wow. totally clean. And it's just like, they're hardcore people that like love them. And That's then they awesome. do like basically these like private concerts for them at night and they film it and they made that, you know, they make little movies out of it and stuff like that. But I was like, that's that's the future. You yeah, know? that's really cool. Like a personal is hang with them. Yeah. That's and, awesome. And, and just be like, we don't need all that other, all the machinations of the industry. Like yeah. we, just, we have our people that love us and let's like take care of them. Yeah, they were really cool. There's um, there's a story that I think they'll never forget. Two stories is that one, during, during that tour with them, my guitar player um, stole one of the tour buses while the bus drivers were sleeping in the hotel. 
and us and 30 <laughs> Seconds to Mars and all the bands crammed yeah. into the bus. And we drove to Bam Margera's house for like a party that night. And Rusty, our guitar player, was driving the bus. And we came back to the parking lot and all the bus drivers would stand there in the parking lot. So bummed. And another thing is that we're about to play New York City. And this is when 30 Seconds to Mars was like blowing up and growing. And they asked us a favor. They said, do you mind if we play after you in New York? And that's like a big favor to ask, especially with that's yeah. our hometown. And we were like, sure. So we let them, it was a no big deal for us. We knew we were going to have a good show. They have a good show. But I think they never forgot that, that we let mm. them play after us because their label was going to be there. And I really, that was, that was a really good time. And every time I see them, they're always so awesome to me and stuff. And it was cool. And then they, yeah. I haven't seen them after. They like blew up after that. It was just right. pretty amazing though. What's the, what is the day-to-day -day, like reality of like, you know, being like a hardcore punk, you know, rock and roller <laughs> versus like, you know, what someone imagines it might be, you know? I, I, don't, I don't know, man. It's the same thing you say about rock and rollers too. You think that these rock and rollers are like partying all day and stuff, but the hardcore dudes are totally opposite. Yeah, like, like you've been married for a long time. All you yeah. do is talk about like how much you love your wife and yeah. your kid, you know? Yeah, so I just, for me, for my, <laughs> yeah. my daily life is I hike every day, I eat good every day, I work out, I do my, I do my online sales. Work on my podcast. I book all the tours coming up. I design all the merch for all the tours. Like me and Adam, my bass player, have been managing the band for over ten years. We do everything mm -hmm. DIY, and uh, yeah, I go to bed like at ten o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I'm gonna. My, my my wife stays up later than I do. Like people think it's it's not what people think it is. Um, especially even rock and roll, but I, I honestly feel like John Joseph and like all of us hardcore dudes, everybody's eating like salads and green stuff and we're stretching before yeah. we play. John's and, like, like chanting Hare Krishna. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally not what people think it is, right. man. It's, it's, it's especially just musicians in general, people think it's this glamorous, wonderful, you go to Europe all summer to the festivals, but the traveling is brutal. Those 23 hours and two you get to play, like trying to find food in a town, getting sleep, you're jet lagged. But you have that 45 minutes to an hour every night just to give it everything you got. That's mm. that's the best part of tour. But this other 23 hours when you're not with your family can be really dark and depressing. Luckily for FaceTime and this phone, which is a powerful thing, it changed everything for touring, having FaceTime to call your family. That's amazing. But touring is not all glamorous, especially when you're older. It's Even if you're a vegan, you're in great shape, it doesn't matter, man. It's just the strenuous of touring and you know having that energy. Um, so yeah, and when I'm home, I'm just chilling. I'm so lucky when I'm home. I do everything out of my house. I don't have to leave my house really. I go to my only crossroads. I go like to my little spots. I do my running can. <laughs> I stay in my little PMA bubble and just do my little rounds yeah. and like um, take my birds. I like taking the birds around. You have birds? No, those little bird things, those little bird scooters. Oh, the bird scooters. Yeah, right. I like yeah, them. Yeah, my yeah, son yeah, take yeah. those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I do live in this, I do find myself guilty of living this like PMA bubble of everything's wonderful and we're all love each other. And I don't really look at the news that much. I check out Vice from time to time. And, um, but I, in my world, in my community, and I, as long as I know my friends and my family are good and I'm trying to like, you know, I go to the vigils, the pig vigils and mm -hmm. do that. I, I try to do my part, but I do live in this little world that, I'm, that one day everybody's gonna be all united and wonderful, like a perfect Benetton ad. We're all gonna be together. And it's gonna be <laughs> yeah. like this, like, I, I do, it's not, I do live in a little fantasy world of that and I'm guilty of that. Like, Well, you can't be PMA and not be optimistic. Totally. But you can't yeah. be Pollyanna either. Yeah, I, I know my wife's like, I'm a realist and you're this. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I, I just, yeah, my, my day in life is just- Do you go to shows? Yeah, I, I, went to a sh I went to a show last week and I actually sang a song with Gorilla Biscuits, one of my favorite bands. Uh -huh. I did a Minor Threat song with them at, at uh, two of their sets at the Roxy. It was awesome. So that was fun. 
went saw Chrome. I see my boys when they come to town. I go to yeah. those shows and. But I also go to like bigger shows with my son. Like I took him to see Travis Scott and that was crazy. There was a mosh pit. People were diving. It was like, I looked at my son. I go, uh, why is there a, he goes, I can't believe there's a mosh pit here. He goes, why? There's one at your show. And I had no answers for him. I'm like, okay, that's the generation. Like yeah. there was, it, so I go to like Katie. I love Katy Perry. Mm-hmm. She like signed my finger of a KP. I'm crazy. Oh, wow. um, so um, I go to like these other bigger shows with my son and just check those vibes out. I like going to concerts. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I'm out and about. I do my thing. You know? What did What did Max think? Your son think about going on tour with you? I mean, his first tour is when he was super young. It was Japan twice. So he was like three and then six. I have to take him back to Japan. He can appreciate it now. But yeah, he's been to South America. He's been to Ireland. He's been everywhere. He loves it. Now I'm making him work. Before he's a little kid. Now it's like, yo, you need to get the towels, uh-huh. the water. I'm making him work for his per diem, you know, like he's got a hustle now and he knows it. And he plays one song for now. He's like, where's my money? I play one song. Uh-huh. So he, he, he loves seeing the world. And like, obviously I don't think that our parents were happy that we're taking our son on tour, but it's like, this is what happened to me when I moved to New York. I got to see the world at a very young age and it, it opened my mind to see different cultures. It made me who I am today. And to be able to bring Max on tour at this young age and see the world and play live, it's, it's, it's amazing that I can be able to even do that with even the band. I'm not even in a big mm. band. The fact that I can take him to have that experience, he loves it, looks forward to it. He's 16 now. We're going this summer. I'm not sure if when he's 17, I'm going to be cool enough to go on tour. But this one's a 21-day one. This is a really big one. He's so psyched. And I always plan his tours a week after he gets out of school. So he has like a week with his friends, and then I take him away for the nice. summer. But yeah, I'm lucky to do that. He loves it, man. It's definitely made him a more rounded human. Well, to see the world in that way. Yeah. What a unique, cool experience. Yeah, and the different cultures, different foods, and just the people and like- Does he have a sense of what he wants to do? Man, he's an amazing drummer. He only wants to play music. He's exactly like me. When I was in that, when I was his Uh age, he can't, he does not like school. He's struggling with his grades and the things that he doesn't care about. He does great in science and um, history. He just, he's in a magnet program. So the band recorded, they have an Adidas Sound Lab, which is amazing. They record their first wow. single. They have a manager who's in 11th grade at their school. Wow. They're on the school label. The band played two shows. It was packed. I, I don't even know what's happening. Uh-huh. Um, he's an incredible drummer and that's what he wants to do. So I got to support it, man. He just- I love that their manager is in 11th grade. I know. He calls me on the <laughs> phone, asks me yeah. questions. It's like, uh-huh. it's crazy. So he's exactly like me. I was, I was into music and skateboarding. He's exactly like me. It's so scary. But I'm like, listen, you have, you have two more years left. You just have to get out of school. You just have to graduate. I'm only asking for C's, man. B's and C's. This, I, I, just get out. I, I've been there. Just get out. Get through the school and then we'll figure out what you want to do. Like, mm. It's hard because I, and he, and he knows, because I obviously he knows everything about me. He's like, well, I remember you got these grades. And you, I'm like, but that's me. You're different. I want you to be a better, better who, I don't know, a better example of what I was. Like, it's just, but it's hard when like, I know exactly what he's going through, man. I mean, he's playing air drums on the table. He's just like, yeah, drummers. They're they're just they spazzes. come out that way, man. You know, yeah. you can identify it right away, and you're like, oh, that's a drummer. I know. You know? So it's it's you know, it's interesting. You played a school concert last week, and it was all like just girls singing, amazing singers at the school. And then I'm standing in the crowd, and then I hear kids going. His band's called Ren. They're like, Ren's up next, and the, all the kids are running into this room. And they're starting like mosh pits at a school musical thing. Like they're in, next to me, like slam dancing for my son's band. And then three of his teachers came that he's not doing so good in the classes. And they said to me, they go, I get your son now. I totally get it. They saw how amazing of a drummer he was. And they're realizing why he's such a spaz. And they know that he's like, 
maybe on this path to be a musician. Uh-huh. And I got to meet them. And then one of the, one of the two was like, yeah, I like Black Flag and Husker. He was trying to bond with me about punk. It was really cute. <laughs> and then, um, but I, I see that he's on this musical path and like, he's an incredible drummer and, and they get it now. Yeah. Cause they only seen Max in the classroom, you know, like. Is Uncle Travis giving him some tips? Yeah, Travis has for sure, for sure. Um, Travis gave him his first cowbell actually, too, as a cowbell. Wow. And Mackie from the Cro-Mags is another one to really tell him a lot of uh-huh. really great staying in the pocket and the rhythms. And he's got all these people around the new musicians. It's, I'm not surprised at what's happening, you know? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty I'm pretty lucky, man. And uh, we'll see what happens with, everybody needs a drummer, you know? It's not going out of style. <laughs> it's not going know? out of style. <laughs> but usually the drummer is the guy who's trouble. It's it's true. You know? Yeah, it's true. When he's not, he's like totally yeah. like he's just like a, it looks like a model playing the drums. Oh. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh it's 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 cool, man. But yeah, the grades thing's a little stressful and just gonna make it through, man, because I've been there. Yeah. But that modeling of you know, being the example for your kid and and kind of walking the talk, I think is like the key thing. Like there's, you know, look, uh, like you said, like none of us are perfect, but we can't tell our kids to do one thing and then behave differently. Like those things have to be in alignment and you've got to create enough trust so that they feel safe and they, they have the willingness to come to you and be honest, you know, because I feel like, you know, when kids start to get into adolescence, like the walls start to come up and then you gotta work like extra hard to make sure that channel stays open because it, it will close so easily if you're not like, you know, Scary. on top of it. Yeah, he came up, he came home a couple weeks ago and said, can I get a hand poke tattoo? I was like, first of all, you're 16 and these kids are giving tattoos in the back of the classroom now. It's uh, like a trendy thing to give hand poke tattoos. I heard about this. Even on girls. And I'm like, listen, you can have any tattoo artist in the whole world. Look at me, just ask me anything. You have to wait till you're 18. But he's like, well, my friends are getting at 16. I'm like, oh, I'm not your friends. And I'm not your friends, you know. But I can't say you can't get tattooed, right. obviously. But I'll take you to a shop when you're 18, like I did. And you get a professional tattoo. And like, <laughs> but because all the kids are doing the hand poke, he's like, uh-huh. we forget one little one. I'm like, no, but at least he's asking me. You know what's even cute? He'll be like, he's gonna be so embarrassed. I'm even talking about this. Like he'll text me, go, all my friends are skipping seventh period. Can I skip seventh period? He'll ask me permission to skip a class, man. Oh man, I just got emotional thinking about that. None of these kids are asking their parents if they can skip a class. They're just skipping the class. And that that open channel of communication is so much more important compared to whether he's gonna skip that class or not. 100%. The fact that he's asking me like and cares if I'd be bummed, I'm like, sure. Like what class is that? What's your grade in that class? Like. It's crazy because I know that no other kids are having that conversation. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. and so I, I never want that communication. And I want I, this is such a strong bond me and my son have. I know we're not going to be together forever. And that reality for me is really—it's a hard pill to swallow because I know he's sixteen. Or a couple of years, he's going to be eighteen. I know my mom kicked me out when I was seventeen. I'm never kicking my son. He can stay there till he's like in his twenties. But 20s. separation is natural. Like it is, you, and you need—he needs that. Yeah, you know, at some point. I know. I saw something somewhere out there that's saying like we don't own our children. Like. They're with us now, but we don't own them. They get to leave and just, it's crazy because I want that that bond forever. And I'm sure it's gonna be a different bond, you know, a distant bond, whatever, yeah. but we're so lucky to be parents, man, you know? Why, uh, why start a podcast? 
because everybody's been telling me to start a podcast yeah. for years, and all my you friends can definitely have talk. Them. <laughs> and all my friends have them. And the, I know I, I feel <laughs> yeah. like I started too late, but no, it's been no, so no, therapeutic, no, no. man. Like the way I'm doing it in chronological order of my life, and interviewing every single person that's met me up until now. Like I'm sitting on like 50 episodes done. Wow. Like it's been so awesome to have these conversations, and like especially with my mom and digging up stuff about my dad and my brothers. Like we none of us had therapy. We all need therapy, 100. That's a different story, but. It was very therapeutic to start that way and then get into all my friends and start talking to them. And it's been, it's been interesting, man, to have these conversations. And um, I don't know why I started doing it and it's, it's been really fun. Yeah, why did you start one? That's cool. Uh, I started it, well, first of all, I started in 2012. Like, you're, you're old no one was doing it, you know? Like it was not, I say this all the time, but like it definitely was not cool to have a podcast back yeah. then. It wasn't like people were clamoring to start one. Yeah. And you know, when you told people you had one, they just looked at you strangely. Yeah. So it's odd and I never would have predicted that it would become like this medium that people would wanna be involved with. But I will say that I got into it because I was an early adopter as a consumer of the meat. Like I would go out and train for these races. I'd be on my bike like all day. I can't listen to music, you know? Yeah. So, I was like, so many audiobooks at the time. So I started listening to podcasts and I was like, holy shit, this is like, there's like incredible information here for free. That's like, right? Why isn't everybody listening to this? So yeah. I really enjoyed it and it really enriched my life at that time. And I've been evangelizing it ever since and been frustrated that more people couldn't understand like what, you know, I was experiencing. And a part of that was because the technology wasn't seamless enough for yeah. people to make it, you know, easy for them because you would have to download them on your laptop and then bounce it to your iPod. This is like pre-iPhone. And yeah. all. So it was like, you had to really kind of like wanna do it. But I started it just because I'd written a book and yeah, yeah. the book did its thing. And then when that was done, it was like, all right, well, what's next? And I was like, well, I could start a pot. Nobody was really doing anything all that compelling in the health and fitness sector. Mm. And it was an opportunity to kind of continue the conversation that the book started. And yeah. I was like, I know some interesting people. And, but kind of like you going to New York, like I was like, I did an episode. It wasn't like, I'm gonna bank all these episodes and here's my strategy and this is how it's gonna be a business. Yeah. No, I was like, I just turned a mic on and my wife and I had a conversation. I was like, that's cool, let's do it tomorrow. Like, yeah. But when I did it, I didn't know if I, there would be a second episode. Yeah. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I did it for years before it became a thing that actually, you know, I could, um, make money off of to yeah. like, you know, support my family. Wow. So it started for, I feel like I started for the right reasons. Yeah. And it's kind of remained true to what it always was from the beginning, which is an opportunity for me to just connect with people that inspire me in different ways and learn from them. Yeah. And what's been cool about it is that so many of these people then become my friends, you know, and my advisors and people that are like in my life, which has awesome. been like the greatest gift of the whole thing. Yeah. I think Plus it's it gives awesome. me an excuse to like call people up like you and go, hey, you gotta drive <laughs> to my house and I'm gonna hold you hostage for the afternoon. I love it though. You know? I, yeah, it's really, it's really been fun having conversations and talking to people, getting to know people. Yeah, I, I, I didn't expect it to go the way it's going to. It's doing pretty well for how long it's been out. And Well, the chronology thing is cool. Like let's start yeah. at the beginning and just like work through your life and all these people yeah. that have impacted you. Yeah, it's been really fun, but it's kind of hard tracking people down. I, I, I don't yeah. like doing the ones over the phone, but I have to do because people are spread out. But yeah, it's been interesting to hear people's stories and how we met and then stuff we've evolved in together. And um, did one with John, I can't wait for that one to come. Yeah, they did, uh -huh. yeah it's been really, really fun. I have such a diverse group of people too, like skaters and actors and musicians too. Um, 
just like you and just to talk to people. It's been really fun. But uh, yeah. the reason why I did a bunch in advance because I'm gonna be touring all summer and I don't know how this is gonna go. If I was even gonna keep doing the podcast, but now they have them ready, I can just go on tour and not worry about it. That's what's right. cool about it. Yeah, 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 that's cool. Um, but it's fun to get to know people and um, yeah, man. Just have, you had, have, you had, have you done one with Brolin? I'm, I'm gonna do one. You gotta sure. do one with I'm gonna do one for him, man. yeah. OG, OG Dogtown. How'd you become friends with that guy? I love following him on <laughs> He's Instagram. Awesome, His man. posts are unbelievably He's amazing, amazing. man. I met, I met him outside of Crossroads, actually, and he wasn't even going to Crossroads. I was with my friend, my friend Luke Westman, and he had his lowrider out there, and he was taking photos in front of the lowrider, and we just met that day. And, and then... I don't know if I followed him. He followed me. We started following. Then uh, I hung out a couple of times since, and he's he's awesome. He texts all the time. He hit me up today. He's doing great things. He comes from the the Dogtown old school community. Right. He's in a band called RKO. He played drums. He was a punk rocker. Comes from the same scene. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, he's like an artist and a poet trapped in a movie star's books. body. I know, I know, man. His writing is incredible. So incredible. So humble. So nice. I'm so happy from all the stuff he's doing. The superhero stuff, like killing it. Yeah, this super cool dude, and it's very grounded, you know? Like, I yeah. love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it comes from the art world. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that about him until I met him about the RKL thing, Rich Kids on LSD, right. little punk band. Yeah, he's written about it a little bit. Yeah. I've seen it. It's pretty cool. He's, he's good people, man. He's good. Uh, it's good to know somebody like on that level of talent and in Hollywood that's like one of us. It's really cool, man. He just, he just seems, he's got his wits about him in the right way. Yeah. You know? and, you, and when you see, like when you read his stuff and you kind of follow him, you can't help but like root for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, his writing's so amazing, I man. Know. We gotta get him on here, we get him on here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what about a book for you, man? You, sh- you got a book in you. Yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking that this podcast is almost like an mm. audio book of the book I haven't written yet. Yeah. You know, I just feel like, I think that might happen when I get a little bit older. I'm, I'm, I might down to do that. I could see myself doing some. I don't know, right. man. It'd be cool. But this this podcast definitely helped those stories and helped me focus on that. I started writing one like maybe like a year ago, just writing different chapters of stuff. But mm-hmm. I'll do one. Yeah, cool. It'd be cool. Well, I want to land this plane, but I can't let you go without kind of leaving some parting words for you know somebody who's listening, who's out there feel stuck, maybe they're in that cubicle job or they're living a life that, you know, they feel like they didn't even consciously choose for themselves and they're just having trouble, you know, accessing that font of positivity that seems to come so natural to you, or they're feeling, you know, creatively stymied or, you know, powerless in their life. And somebody who, you know, spends a lot of time like connecting with young people and encouraging them and trying to be, you know, this sort of receivership for positive energy and possibility. Like, how do you speak to that person? I mean, I would say first and foremost, look up Napoleon Hill, read Think and Go Rich, um, Success to a Positive Mental Attitude. And I, I feel personally that I was in crappy jobs too before everything changed for me. I was working in mill rooms. I was working with asbestos, building the sound factory in Manhattan. I was doing a bunch of stuff wow. that I was so miserable doing that I just... One of the last ones I did was like, I can't do this anymore. There's something I really want to do. I just went for it. I feel like nobody's really trapped in a miserable job. You, you, there's always like, you always have opportunities to do something else. Nobody's forcing you to do that. I know people have bills and families and they're, and they're, they're going through a lot of stuff, but everybody goes through stuff. And I feel like you just gotta, it's so corny and cliche to say like, believe in yourself and push through it. But like, I, I'm living proof that you don't have to do something. Like I was doing stuff just to get by and I wasn't happy doing it when I was a, before I was a roadie and stuff. And um, I just feel like you just gotta believe in yourself and push through and realize that you don't have to, it's about being happy. We're only here temporarily. And this is like, this could end tomorrow and, and being happy 
and, and loving your life and being healthy, it makes everything so much better, your perspective on life so much better. It's easier said than done, granted, but I feel like if you're working at a job and you're miserable, you, you, gotta, you gotta quit that job, you have to leave that job, you have to take a chance, one life, one chance, that's my motto, you have to take a chance and try to do something you love. Like, my band wasn't supposed to make it, my band was a total joke, I wasn't a singer, we had so much backlash when my first band started, but we kept doing it because we believed in the message we were doing, we believed in everything we were doing, and because of that, it worked. And if you just believe in yourself and, and say you're at some job and you believe you wanna do something else, just, just do it, do it now. Don't wait, don't procrastinate because Life could be over tomorrow. And um, I do live in the moment a lot and I don't really think about the future a lot, which is a bad thing, but- <laughs> It's worked out okay for it, you. It's though. worked out okay for me, but like there's, there's no reason to be miserable. There's no reason to be miserable in a job and hate what you're doing. Like you, somehow you got yourself in that position. There's a way to get yourself out of that position. Nobody forced you into that position, if you guys understand what I'm saying. So you have all the power to do what you wanna do. You might not get there right away, you might have to work for it and maybe work at a different job to get into the space you wanna be in, but just don't give up, believe in yourself. It all sounds corny and cliche, but I'm a 49 year old man who's been doing everything I love almost my whole entire life because I, I never gave up and I believed in myself when other people weren't believing in me. And that's the key to a happy life is doing what you love, I think. And um, so get yourself out of that job and Try something else and push yourself and um, don't give up and don't quit. That's all I can tell you to do. Thank you very much. Boom. <laughs> I think you just put a punctuation mark on, on the end of the podcast. Uh, perfect way to end it, my thank friend. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was epic. Um, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here, love, man. I'm honored to meet you in real life. Yeah, super cool. Psyched to hang out with you after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, man. More... Uh, more will be revealed and to be continued. Come back and talk to me anytime, man. Be awesome. And I look forward to getting to know you even better. Um, Thank you, Rich. Toby Morris, you're an inspiration. Uh, appreciate you. Thank you. Friend. Can I plug my podcast? Yeah, of course. One Life, One Chance podcast. That's there it. There you go. It's everywhere. <laughs> and at Toby Morris on all the social media channels. Um, and it's uh, onelifeonechance.com for the nonprofit, yes. correct? And I want you on my podcast too. And uh, yeah, anytime, man. You well, come I'll, to Hollywood. I'll be, well, I'll have to be the last episode because I'm the most recent oh, person yeah. that you've met. So you're gonna come to Hollywood It's too. gonna be season 20 or something Next like that. Next year, yeah. I'll come to Hollywood anytime. <laughs> um, also, Toby's got amazing, super cool merch. So if you wanna find that, it's h2omerch.com, oh, yeah. right? Yes. Cool, Th yep, anything thank else? You. Anything else coming up? You want to plug or anything? Uh, it's our 25th anniversary H2O. We'll be on tour all summer in Europe. We'll be playing all around the States. We have a secret surprise show May 18th in Los Angeles. I don't know when this is coming out. Super I'm secret. gonna have you there. Um, yeah, we, just look up on our website, look on our Facebook, which is uh, H2O Family. And uh, yeah, we're around. You can find us everywhere. Thanks to these phones, the social media world. <laughs> all right, peace and plants, my friends. Peace and plants. We're out, bye. That was awesome. Right on, we did it. How'd that one land for you? He's a super cool guy, right? I really dug that. Really enjoyable to talk to Toby today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Please check out the show notes on the episode page to extend your experience of Toby and immerse yourself in his world by exploring all of the links that we uh, put together there for you. We put a lot of time into that, so check it out and let Toby know how this one landed for you by sharing your thoughts with him directly. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Toby Morse. Uh, and check out his podcast, One Life, One Chance. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the podcast, just tell your friends about the show or your favorite episode. Uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, uh, leave a comment on YouTube, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to this. And uh, you can support the show on Patreon by going to richroll.com 
forward slash donate. I appreciate everybody who worked together to put this show on today. I certainly do not do this alone. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for videoing today's show. Uh, Blake doing double duty as an audio engineer today as well. Jessica Miranda for graphics. Allie Rogers for portraits. And DK for advertiser relationships. Oh, yeah. Theme music by Analemma. Appreciate all of you out there. I can't do this without you. And I do not take your attention for granted. So I will see you back here in a couple days with an amazing conversation with singer, songwriter, musician, author, performance artist, so many other things. The one, the only, the great Amanda Palmer. It's an awesome conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. So until then, PMA all day, people. Peace. Plants. Namaste.